You're listening to Apolitical Politics, where we discuss the ins and outs of Oregon politics without being political. I'm your host, Dwayne Stark. Today's special guest is Governor Kate Brown, the 38th governor of the state of Oregon. Good morning, Governor Brown. How are you this morning? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being on. I'm excited to have this conversation with a governor and to talk to people about what is it like to be a governor. But before we jump into that, tell me a little bit about you. How did you end up as the governor of the state of Oregon? What did you do before and why do you do this? Well, that story is a little complicated, but I moved to Oregon uh, several decades ago because I wanted to practice law and I went to law school here in Oregon. And the reason why I wanted to go to law school is I wanted the tools and skills uh, to create justice in the world and started practicing law after my stint in law school and had some experiences that made me want to get engaged with our political system, with, with the role of government, and came to the Capitol in 1991 uh, as an advocate on women's issues. I've been practicing family law, so I had the experience of representing clients who'd been in domestic violence situations or clients who really struggled to access their child support. And I thought by coming to the state capitol, I could improve child support enforcement laws and domestic violent laws. And so I came to the capitol back in 1991 as an advocate for the Women's Rights Coalition and literally Representative Stark. Following that session, I was appointed to uh, be a state representative from my district, which was Southeast Portland at the time. So I spent 17 years in the Oregon legislature and then I moved to the Secretary of State's office. Spent, let's see, from 2009 to 2015 in the Secretary of State's office And then, as we'll talk about, I think, in a bit more detail, when my predecessor stepped down, I was sworn in as governor in February of 2015. So that's basically how I got here. I had been in office for, as a state representative for three weeks when you were appointed as the governor. I'm curious, and, you know, you don't have to go too much detail, but had you thought about being governor prior to to being appointed and prior to all that went down at that season? Uh, I I had certainly thought about being governor. I certainly did not think it would happen in the way that it did. I literally got a letter from Governor Kitzhaber on a Friday saying he was resigning the following Wednesday and that I would be sworn in on that day. So I had five days notice. Uh, So as you know from your experience, Uh, coming in the state legislature, uh, there's always a lot to learn and a lot to do. It was a pretty extraordinary moment for Oregon, and my goal at that time, and it is still my goal as governor, is to continue to build Oregonians' faith and trust in state government. You're in your tail end of your second term. Now that you've done the role for this long and and wrapping up this season, or at least this term, what do you see in your own words? What is the role of the governor? How would you describe that to someone who was new to politics in general? 
Well, I, I describe it as the CEO, the Chief Executive Officer of the state. I oversee, there are three branches of government, and I oversee one of those branches, the executive branch. I have 44,000 employees working for me. The legislature keeps adding more, as you're probably aware. And my job is to make sure that the executive branch, which includes state agencies from tiny state agencies to very large state agencies like the Oregon Department of Human Services and the Oregon Health Authority, deliver services to Oregonians in a very effective and efficient manner and that our most vulnerable citizens, folks living in rural communities, folks in our communities of color, families with low incomes, have the support and the services that they need to thrive. To a third grader, I describe the role of governor as like I am the president of the state of Oregon. And, and kids look at me and go, oh, I know what that means. I'm in charge. I'm the boss. <laughs> I, I tend to describe it that way, too, only I'm not the one in the role. When you stepped into this role, was there anything that surprised you about that you didn't realize was going to be part of your job duty or, or things that the public may not realize that you do? Well, I'll talk about some of the job duties that I have that probably folks are not always aware of. I determine who sits on Oregon's boards and commissions. These are an opportunity for citizens to participate in policy making and advising our state agencies. Mostly they're not paid, but it's a really instrumental way for people to participate in the basics of state government. So for example, we have an Oregon Transportation Commission that oversees the direction and policies of the Department of Transportation directly impacting our vision and policy for transportation in the state of Oregon. We have paid boards and commissions, for example, the parole board. Uh, we have five individuals who sit on the parole board and determine whether folks are, have met the criteria for rehabilitation and accountability. That is, for example, a paid position. And then we have smaller boards and commissions, for example, overseeing uh, health care, uh, specifically, the Oregon Medical Board oversees physicians and their practices. So it is a wide diversity of appointments and boards and commissions, and it's an incredibly valuable opportunity for citizens to participate uh, and engage in state government. I also appoint judges. and. I, I think in part because uh, uh, of the timing, uh, and uh, I am a tail-end baby boomer, that we have seen a lot of judicial uh, retirements, and when there is a vacancy, I appoint judges. So I've appointed judges to the trial court, uh, to the Court of Appeals, and to the Supreme Court. And at this point in time, I've appointed close to 110 judges. Uh, wow. to both our local trial courts. It's a lot. Uh, it is challenging, I have to say, in terms of appointing judges because we rely on the local bar and local leaders to give us input. I think it's really important that these judges uh, reflect their communities. And so, as you might guess, there, there are times when 
none of the candidates are uh, politically aligned with me. That's not what's important. What is important is that I am picking folks who are committed to serving their community. I look for what I like to say, workhorses, not show ponies, and folks who understand the importance of listening to people because I do think that's a critical aspect of being in court, that your judge hears you and listens to you. I imagine there's never a dull moment and that two days never look the same. I'm just curious, what's your favorite part about being the governor? My favorite part of being governor is being able to make a difference in people's lives. Sometimes one person, sometimes thousands of people. I think, and what I love about Oregon and my work with the Oregon legislature, is that for the most part, people are here, legislators serve because they want to do the right thing, and they want to make Oregon a place where everyone can achieve their full potential. And so for me, being governor, it's just extraordinary. Just last week, I had a young man in. His first name was Tracian. He won our Poetry Out Loud contest. But what what was unique about Tracian is that he is deaf, and he did his poetry through signing. When I met with him last week, he moved me to tears. This talented young man who lived in foster care until he was seven. He went through 10 foster homes. They never learned that he was deaf until he was seven years old. And that he has been able to come on and graduate from high school. He's now going into a career and technical program and just be an extraordinary human being. That is truly remarkable. That's cool. That's really cool. Well, on the flip side, do you have a least favorite part? Uh, uh, That is a very interesting question, given what (laughs) Oregon has been through the last several years. I would say that uh, the role of being an executive in state government, of being governor in state government, has really transformed in these last few years. And the reason why I say that, I think governors before had to be Uh, emergency managers, crisis responders, but, you know, what we've seen this last handful of years between horrendous, horrific, uh, record-breaking wildfires, ice storms that literally shut down the mid-Willamette Valley for a week, we had that heat dome event where we unfortunately lost 96 Oregonians, we had, we've had shootings, all of these events, I do think a major part of my time and energy is uh, making sure that we are, as a state, prepared for emergencies, for crises, that we have the capacity and the capability to respond to these crises, and that that we are in recovery mode, uh, that we are getting the 4,000 family units that lost their homes during the 2020 Labor Day fires into housing that is more permanent for them and that they can be in safe, warm, uh, affordable, and accessible places to live for right now. So crisis management, emergency management has been at the top of my portfolio, so to speak, for the last several years. 
I thought you might not enjoy the budgeting process with the legislature, given that I work uh, on that. <laughs> so I love gonna, that process. <laughs> yes. Well, so I have I have one specific question because it's a follow up to one that I asked Senator Steiner Hayward last week, and I you know I understand that you put together a budget, you put it forward, and the legislature and the governor don't always see eye to eye on the budget. And I asked her this kind of the same question, but I one time sat in a meeting right next to you, and on the other side of you was Senator Steiner Hayward, and you would put forward a kind of a budget request of where you wanted to spend some money. And Senator Steiner Hayward very gently leaned over, and I could hear because, you know, she was whispering, but I could hear because I was sitting next to her, and she says, yeah, we can't do that. I'm curious, as governor, how do you navigate the budget when the legislature or the co-chairs of the budget don't see eye to eye with what you would like to spend? Well, like everything in this life, it is a negotiation. <laughs> Here's my sense. When I propose a budget, and I do that every two years, though these last couple of years we've done it a little differently, it's a two-year time frame. We budget over a two-year time frame. I propose that budget and submit it to the legislature, essentially. And then they say the legislature disposes of the budget. The harsh reality is that 90 to 95% of my budget requests are accepted. Are there disagreements? Absolutely. Let me give you, though, some techniques and strategies I've used that I've found to be very successful. So in the last short session, it would have been a February short session, I proposed uh, a couple of things. Number one, that we spend... $400 million in affordable housing. I didn't have specific criteria over how we were going to spend that. And so legislators from both parties sat down and wrestled and came up with a package uh, that met my criteria and I think did a very good job. On another example, uh, Future Ready Oregon, I had very specific ideas on how we would spend these dollars. I wanted to make sure that it went to our historically underserved rural communities, communities of color and, and families uh, that were struggling economically. I also wanted to make sure that it was invested in workforce training in three primary areas, technology, manufacturing, and healthcare. And the reason for that, uh, healthcare specifically, is that we obviously need more healthcare uh, providers in Oregon manufacturing and technology, obviously key, very good paying careers, and but key to our success as a state. So I had more specificity around how I wanted those dollars spent. There was some tweaking by the legislature, but for the most part, uh, the legislature agreed with my proposal. When we disagree, I have a couple of tools. I can veto, for example, which I haven't used very often, or, um, you know, I can use the persuasion power of the bully pulpit, and sometimes that works. Uh, <laughs> I struggled for a couple of years to get funding for our work to better prepare communities for wildfire. The report came out in, from the Wildfire Council came out in 2019. I didn't get funding uh, 2020, 2021, I believe in 2022. Uh, we got, actually, no, I got it in 2021. Uh, we got our $200 million funding for three things. 
One, to enable communities to be better prepared by investing in defensible space and safe places for folks to go when you know bad smoky days. Number two, making sure that our we were modernizing our firefighting efforts with more boots on the ground, more bodies, as well as more modern equipment. And also, frankly, investing in what I would call uh, creating healthier landscapes, thinning, prescriptive burning, harvesting, so that we could minimize or mitigate the impacts of wildfire. It took me a couple of years to get that done, but we finally got it done. And uh, I was really clear that if this not, did not get done, <laughs> then the responsibility would be uh, on the legislature and, and not in the executive branch. And we got it done. I'm trying to think of some other circumstances where we really disagreed. Sometimes, <laughs> uh, sometimes there are ways to just uh, what I call GSD, get stuff done when I disagree with the legislature or the legislature refuses to fund a particular project, I'll figure out quiet sort of backdoor ways to get it done anyway. Right. That <laughs> don't tell sense. Senator Steiner Hayward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you can always listen to her podcast and see what she had to say about it as well. I love the budget process. I've loved working on the budget. Oh. And, and as a legislator, I have appreciated the times where a dollar amount and a concept is put forward, but we get to work out the details. And I think that that's been a, a successful way of moving forward on those things. Uh, moving to a different topic, you're the boss over agencies. I'm curious, how involved are you uh, with some of the agencies on the day-to-day -day interactions? And kind of what does that role look like for you to keep agencies accountable and operating the way that you want them to? I think for me it's about setting very clear expectations of how I expect them to deliver services uh, and work with the legislature. One great example is the work we're doing with the Department of Forestry. First of all, they, uh, they needed to get their budget house in order. That's taken some time. They brought in the right people to do that. But I worked with the leadership at the Department of Forestry uh, now Director Kao Mukumoto, to uh, invest the dollars that were provided to the department via Senate Bill 762, the Wildfire Preparedness Bill. And I both work with the director and his team as they are tackling wildfires in communities around the state and get briefings from them. I make sure they have enough resources and... Uh, make sure they're communicating well with the public. Department of Forestry, I may talk to them every day during wildfire season. Oregon Office of Emergency Management, this is a new agency we're setting up. They were formerly under the military department. Uh, I work with Director Phelps to make sure that individual Oregonians as well as communities are better prepared for disaster and emergency. Last week, with the help of FEMA, which is the Federal Emergency Management Assistance Agency, they, uh, we did a tabletop exercise uh, walking through a 9.0 Cascadia earthquake. So it really depends upon the agencies. Some agencies I am very much more involved with, given the challenges they're facing. And I think you know this with your work uh, with foster care. 
my background as a lawyer and as a lawyer representing children and families in the foster care system, I'm very passionate about making sure that these children and their parents get the support and wraparound services that they need. The agency has struggled. I think they're on a much better footing now, but uh, worked very closely uh, with agency leadership. We created the Children's Cabinet to oversee that work, uh, and it's been, I, I think, successful in terms of the agency making, making uh, greater progress. So it really depends on the particular agency, but what I think is most important is that we uh, lay out a vision uh, of service to Oregonians, um, that we hold uh, folks accountable, and uh, they get their jobs done in an efficient and effective manner. You have been Oregon's governor during two different presidential administrations and not trying to compare the two, so I'm sure there's some differences that you've experienced with those two administrations. But throughout your season as governor, what sort of interactions do you have on the federal level and with the federal government as a state governor? There's two areas where uh, we interact. Our goal is to essentially bring home the bacon uh, and make sure that we are getting Oregon's fair share of resources from the federal government. Uh, I have a federal policy advisor who lives in the Washington, D.C. area. She happens to be a she, and she is incredibly well-connected with folks in the federal government, and she helps open doors for me. For example, if I wanted to have an appointment with Secretary Vilsack, who oversees the Department, the U.S. Department of Ag, Agriculture. She will help me get a phone call with him, and I had to do that uh, last summer when we were struggling with severe drought. We needed uh, financial support for our farmers, particularly our farmers uh, that uh, raise cane berries, uh, blackberries, marionberries. Uh, these crops were devastated. I think we lost 90% of the crops during the heat dome event. But the USDA programs don't typically solve or support commodities like that. They tend to be focused on the major uh, commodities like wheat, corn, uh, basics like that. Oregon has 225-odd commodities. So um, we were able to get a call with Secretary Vilsack and literally two weeks later, he was on the ground meeting with our farmers and ranchers uh, to talk about what support and services USDA could provide. So that's a really good example. And my staffer in D.C. set up those appointments and helped make that happen. Uh, we also work very closely with our congressional delegation. Uh, we have a dynamite uh, congressional uh, delegation in Oregon, and they work hard to bring more dollars into the state. But we also work strategically. Just this morning, I am going to be working with Senator Wyden and the uh, director of CMS to talk about uh, funding that Oregon's going to get to help with uh, crisis response teams on the ground to ensure that Oregonians are getting the behavioral health services they need when they are in a crisis and develop a medical model as opposed to a law enforcement model. So those are a couple of examples. Where should Oregonians go to learn more about the governor's office? That is a great question. 
So I am formally a Secretary of State, and I, uh, the Secretary of State produces a, a thing called the Blue Book. And I don't, I'm sorry to use this word, but I don't know of another way to describe it. It's really a, a Bible about Oregon, and it can tell you all sorts of things like uh, what is the state beverage, milk, just so you know, and who is your, uh, your circuit court judge or your circuit court judges, who's representing you at the county level, and who your DA is, but also all about what the governor does and what her uh, roles and responsibilities are, as well as all of the other uh, statewide elected officials. And legislators are even in the book as well. How do people get their hands on this book? They can access the Oregon Blue Book through uh, the Secretary of State's electronic website. Or you can call your legislator and see if they'll get you a copy. <laughs> I love the Blue Book. So, Well, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with listeners? I'll just say one thing. I, I talked a bit about emergency management. I think it's incredibly important to the extent that folks are able uh, to be two-week prepared. So we're asking Oregonians to continue to be ready, whether it's a wildfire emergency or an ice storm, to have two weeks of water supplies and uh, medical supplies and non-perishable foods uh, to make sure you have an emergency plan uh, to connect with your family should something horrible happen. I, I want to encourage Oregonians to be ready in the event of a disaster or emergency. As Benjamin Franklin said, failure to prepare is preparing to fail, and we don't want that to happen in Oregon. Thanks for listening. For more apolitical politics, check out apoliticalpolitics.org or dwaynestark.org.